And tonight, we're going to be in John chapter 2, uh, verses 1 through 12. John chapter 2, 1 through 12. And this is the very word of God. For we're faithful and true, given to us in love. John 2, beginning in verse 1, says this. On the third day, there was a wedding at Cana in Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. Jesus also was invited to the wedding with his disciples. When the wine ran out, the mother of Jesus said to him, they have no wine. And Jesus said to her, woman, what does this have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, do whatever he tells you. Now there were six stone water jars there for the Jewish rites of purification, each holding 20 or 30 gallons. Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water. And they filled them up to the brim. And he said to them, now draw some out and take it to the master of the feast. So they took it. When the master of the feast tasted the water, now become wine, and did not know where it came from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew, the master of the feast called the bridegroom and said to him, everyone serves the good wine first. And when people have drunk freely, then the poor wine. But you have kept the good wine until now. This, the first of his signs, Jesus did at Cana in Galilee and manifested his glory, and his disciples believed in him. After this, he went down to Capernaum with his mother and his brothers and his disciples, and they stayed there for a few days. The reading of God's word. Let's go ahead and pray. Jesus, again, we thank you for this night. We thank you, Lord, that um, though all of us, well, many of us are wrestling with sickness and not everyone could be here tonight. Lord, we thank you that you and your word go forth yet in power and truth and in boldness. And so thank you, Lord, that even as we're gathered uh, via distance and um, even just meeting via FaceTime tonight, um, we know that your word is powerful and active and living and still tends to us. And so even as Uh, We are gathered in your name for worship. Um, It will still speak to us. and It still ministers to our hearts, for it is timeless and true and faithful. And so we we ask, oh Lord, even as we battle with uh, sickness, and even as I wrestle with uh, coughing and sickness over here on my end, I pray, oh Lord, that you would use um, this weakness um, to just display your strength, and the preaching of your word in this time. We pray, O oh Lord, that as your word goes forth, that it would minister to each one of our hearts, that it would strengthen us and enliven each one of us here, that we would see your power and your glory and know that you are forever good and holy and that you do good to us, your people. And so we pray this all in Christ's holy name. Amen. All right, well, many of us, of course, grew up in Uh, Christian traditions, ones that probably emphasized obedience, lawfulness, duty, and responsibility. But certainly the word of God teaches us that we are indeed to believe concerning him everything and to also know what duties that he requires of us. But if all we hear about God is that he is concerned about our duty and our obedience all at the expense of his covenantal love and sheer grace over us, 
and especially his kindness that compels us to that obedience that he desires and to repentance from sin and its devices, our hearts will become cold against him. The scriptures speak of God as the one who gives us this joy that duty alone cannot bring. And when we lack God's joy, he loves to renew it in us, just like a host refilling a glass of wine at a party. And so our passage of John 2, verses 1 through 12, tonight where we see the wedding at Cana is designed especially to teach us that our God is indeed glorified even in the midst of our joy. Again, God is glorified in our joy. Now, in the first part of our passage, we saw that Jesus had spent three days in the greater area of Cana in Galilee. Now, this Cana was very specific to this area. There were at least two Canas that we know of there in Israel at the time. And this Cana was about a short distance from Bethsaida and Nazareth, again, part of northern Israel where Jesus had been the last few days. And it's entirely possible that Jesus and his mother were invited to this wedding specifically because it was a relative of theirs, or at least a very close friend who was getting married there in Cana of Galilee. Now, the Jewish culture, like many other Eastern cultures, was extremely hospitable. And so it isn't peculiar to see that Jesus' disciples, his friends that he had had for all of only a few days, were also invited but this special invitation of Jesus to those whom he chose to follow him speaks to us and our relationship with him too. See, those of us in our own church plant, those of us who have only known Jesus for maybe months or perhaps two or three years even, are no less invited to dine with Jesus and to know Jesus and to enjoy Jesus any less than those who have known Jesus for much of their lives, like others of us in our mission group. See, for all of those in Christ, his joy, whether we've known him for a few days or a few months or many years alike, is accessible and is on tap in our hour of need. King David, for instance, declares of this same joy of Christ in Psalm 4, verse 7, you have put more joy in my heart than they have when their grain and wine abound. And the anonymous psalmist in Psalm 104, much later in the Psalter, said something very similar. You cause the grass to grow for the livestock and plants for man to cultivate, that he may bring forth food from the earth and wine to gladden the heart of man, oil to make his face shine, and bread to strengthen man's heart. Friends, God is concerned with the estate of his people, for he is the author and giver of joy itself. He cares for each one of us and where we're at even right now in this exact moment. But in verse 3, we see a turning point in our passage. We see a problem arise. See, in verse 3, we see that the wine of the marriage supper had run out. This is like the worst thing that could have ever happened at a wedding in that day. Now, while this may not seem like a very big deal for us in our contemporary culture, in this society, if they had run out of wine, it was a huge indication 
of a lack of honor and respect for their guests. See, hospitality was largely associated in that day with the idea of honor. And so to not make your own guests happy and merry, especially with much wine and fun and festivities, was to show a lack of respect and care for the well-being of people that you were hosting at your own place. And so Jesus' mother came to him and told him, they have no wine. Now, we may be wrongly inclined to read his response to her as being unaffected. But Jesus responded to her in the exact same manner in which he did while he was upon the cross. Just like when upon the cross, he said, woman, woman to her. Here we see him say this, though, woman, what does this have to do with me? And here's the reason. My hour has not yet come. See, this wasn't a statement of disregard or dismissal. Rather, Jesus' statement was that his will was not to be directed by anything less than the divine will of the Father in heaven. This is why Mary, I believe, responded in humble submission immediately. Now, in our English translation, her words are not very clear. But in the Greek, the exact wording of Mary's command to the servants is this. A literal translation says this, essentially. Whatever he says to you, you all need to do it. Now, in the ESV, of course... It says, do whatever he tells you. But again, literally in the Greek, it's more spelled out. And again, I want us to catch this nuance. Whatever he says to you, you all need to do it. In other words, Jesus has all authority. Listen to Jesus. Obey Jesus. This is so much more powerful than we might realize at first. Now, over the last two months, we have seen Jesus' glory on display. We've heard about his threefold office of prophet, priest, and king. And here we see him most clearly as the king. The king who hadn't yet revealed himself up until this point, but who had been actively doing the Father's will all along, all those 30 years of his long life. And now, now in this passage, he's finally ready to reveal himself as the rightful king of his people, Israel. Now the hour had come, but it wasn't up to Mary. It was up to his father in heaven. And his father now allowed for this to be his hour to reveal his glory. See, in verse 6, then we read that there were six stone water jars that were used for the Jewish rite of purification, different washings, in other words, that were going on. Whereas these stone jars were supposed to all be located at the temple for religious purposes, for some odd reason, the owner of this venue, this wedding venue, had them located off-site to perform these washings and these religious rituals apart from God's ordination. And John Calvin makes note of that in his commentary on this same passage. Now, a little spoiler alert, we'll see this exact same issue of man-contrived worship in our next passage of John 2, verse 13 through 25, where they went about God's worship in all the wrong ways. But here, 
John Calvin and many other commentators, myself included, all believe that those stone jars for purification should not have been at that location. They were actually there meant for temple worship, but for some reason they were there in gallons of 20, or in jars rather of 20 and 30 gallons alike there at that wedding place. And they really didn't belong there in the first place. Now, Jesus was, of course, all too aware of these jars' existence. And so he commanded that the servants of the house go over to those jars, the six giant stone jars, and pour water into them. And each one of them was brimming to the full. Again, each one of them weighed so much, and they held even 20 or 30 gallons to use our English measurements And so as Jesus commanded the servants then to draw out some of the water now become wine, he told them to present it to the master of the house. And it was indeed wine at that point. The master of the house said, everyone serves the good wine first. And when the people have drunk freely, then the poor wine. But you, meaning the bridegroom, you, the bridegroom, have kept the good wine until now. Now, he hadn't a clue as to the source of this finer-tasting, apparently well-aged wine, but the servants were probably snickering a little bit because they and the disciples knew firsthand exactly what had happened, even though the others in the party didn't know. See, far greater, though, than turning water into wine, Jesus had actively accomplished the very first sign, the first sign that showed his kingly power and his divine glory. But while he had manifested his glory in the presence of all the wealthiest men in that region of Cana and probably beyond, it was those who were the lowest in stature, the poorest in that area, the servants, his disciples even, to whom he directly made known his glory. And our Gospel tells us this, and his disciples believed in him. This is why Jesus did that, to reveal his glory in such a way that even the lowest of the low would see him and believe in him. Friends, Jesus has and he will continue to show even men and women like us this same glory. See, this sign of him turning water into wine directly shows that he is the author and giver of joy, let alone all of life. He is the same one through Moses who turned the Nile River from water into blood, who declared his judgment against his enemies through his people, through these same kind of signs. He is the one who in this same passage of John 2, turned the water into around 150 gallons of wine and turned the despondency and shame of the hosts into delight and honor once more. But far greater still, Jesus is the one who poured out his life at just the right time for the ungodly like us. See, upon the cross, water and blood flowed from his side as he drank the cup of God's wrath against sin down to the dregs 
as he bled out in our place and paid once for all sin, once for all time rather, for our sins, both yours and mine alike, for the life of everyone who believes in him. And just three days later, God revealed his glory, his glory by raising this same Jesus from the dead. In the words of Psalm 16, 9 through 11, therefore my heart is glad and my whole body rejoices. My flesh also dwells secure for you will not abandon my soul to shale or let your Holy One see corruption. You made known to me the path of life in your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. And so as we close this short sermon tonight, are you resting then upon this promise of life in Jesus Christ? If you lack joy even right now in this moment, will you confess your need of Jesus and the joy that comes from knowing him so that he might fill your cup back up to the brim? And if you are living in a place where you have been trying to fill your cup with things that are not of Christ, sinful things, idolatrous things, will you repent of trying to satisfy your soul with false and fake drink that only poisons your own soul and will never satisfy you? If that is true of you, then Jesus says these same words to you that we read of in Isaiah 55. And so hear his voice, dear friend. Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And he who has no money, come, buy and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money and without price. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread and your labor for that which does not satisfy? Listen diligently to me and eat what is good and delight yourselves in rich food. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, amen. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you that you are forever good and forever holy and oh so gracious to us. And we thank you, Lord, that even in the midst of sickness going around from COVID yet again, and illness, and hospitalization, and distance, Lord, between all of us here tonight. I thank you, Lord, that in the midst of these things, you've still gathered us to worship you. And Lord, even though we have felt weak in ourselves, you have been our strength. And Lord, even though our cup seems so empty right now and our joy may feel depleted, you truly are the source of our joy and our life, and you love to fill us up. And so Jesus, we ask that you would fill up the cups of our lives with your joy, that in your presence we would see and know and taste that you are good. Be our song, be our salvation, be our cup of gladness, O oh Lord, in this time. We pray in Christ's name, amen.